0: As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes.
1: On today's episode of Android's Dungeon, an interview with Jonathan former editor of the Walrus National Post many other esteemed journals and a talk with Kayla about a couple of games stay tuned Welcome to Androids Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario, uh, the university center, which is slowly but surely becoming less um, deconstructed. So I guess it's becoming constructed. Or
0: does it <laughs> just look that way? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they just painted some fake drywall.
1: <laughs> it's just they, there's the Simpsons episode where um, they hold a fire drill at the nuclear power plant. And, uh, there's a scene where they're all running to this door and they all slam into it, but it's just a painted on fire (laughs) escape, but, uh, I'm not trying to imply in any sense of the word that, um, (laughs) the University of Guelph is not fire compliant by the way. So I'm sure it is. Yeah. And it's got some lovely hardwood floors, I think. Who knew? Definitely. Hardwood. hundred percent real. Air quotes. Uh, maybe it's straight from uh, the Amazon to enrage some people, but who knows? Um, androids dungeon show about games movies music um whatever we really feel like (laughs) that's remotely nerdy uh um i'm jack and i'm joined by the lovely kayla campbell and uh, we like to start for every episode kayla what have you been playing recently
0: well jack it feels like it's been a while since i played a game mostly because i was busy throwing you a wicked 30th birthday party
1: please don't age me
0: (laughs) year old <laughs> uh, but before that we spent a weekend at a cottage so we played some cottage appropriate games.
1: So it's I think we've briefly talked about this on the show before. When you say cottage appropriate games, like what would you like what would the average person really think of when you say cottage appropriate games?
0: Well, I guess it depends how educated you are when it comes to games. Ooh, oh my <laughs> yeah. I think most people would probably think of like life and monopoly. Um, but I think today is better. Uh, smarter, not boring versions of those games are things like Code Names. Okay. Um, have we talked about Code Names on the show before? Do your listeners know what Code Names? I is? think
1: we have, but let's just do a quick rundown because it's 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 always good to refresh people. Mm-hmm. Because um, I don't I don't want to be too presumptu- presumptuous.
0: Sure. So Codenames is a game uh, with two teams, and the great thing about it is that it actually scales really well. And I'm not sure what the numbers on the box are, but you can basically do anything. Yep. So there two teams against each other, and there's um, uh, a grid of cards that have words on them. Mm-hmm. And there's two Codemasters, and they have a secret little card that shows them which words are theirs. And they somehow have to connect those words yep. um, with saying clues like elephant four. And somehow their teammates have to connect it without hitting the assassin, which immediately gives the game to the other team.
1: Yeah, it's a very simple word game. I, we've talked about it before on the show. Inexpensive, too. And it, it's one of these games that um, we introduced it to uh, four other people up at uh, this cottage. And after the first game or two of it, um, the one girl in particular was saying, so let's play it again. Let's play it again. Like you could see this look in her eye that I, which is the most magical look you can get when you introduce <laughs> a game to somebody that like, let, I want to play it again. And I want mm-hmm. to do this more of it. It's really just dirt simple. And I think um, I, I Well,
0: I wouldn't say it's dirt simple. It's really hard to connect those words. No, no
1: I'm saying like mechanically. It's not like a oh, game you lay out and you're just yes. me sitting there flipping through the rule book and you can see the people getting scared the longer yes, you
0: It's it. easy to understand, hard to actually play.
1: And that's, the, yeah, it's perfect. And it's about how greedy you want to be too. It's uh, very, because one game we played um, our Codemaster just, uh, and he was having, he was struggling a little bit. He he just doing, kept doing one word clues. And the sad thing is that we, I think we ended up winning that one because I think was, they
0: hit the assassin. They
1: hit the assassin, but it was like just slow and steady versus the other team that kept giving like maybe two, three word clues, but they just couldn't get out of this. Like they'd get. It was too brand or it was too wide a, a clue, and you ended up just getting like the innocent bystander, or, or something along those lines. But um, again, Code Names is an instant hit. Highly recommend it. And then what was the other one we played?
0: Uh, we played a couple other things, but another really good cottage game because it's super simple is Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And Las Vegas is this dice rolling game. And there are six casinos, and they all match up to the six sides of the die. Mm-hmm. And each casino has a different value of money in them. It's at least fifty thousand um, dollars, but that could be split between a thirty thousand, a twenty, and a ten. And you want to win the casino. So if you you win the casino by having the most dice there, or at least the most dice that is not tied with someone else. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's um, another one of these games. Instant hits when you see mm-hmm. it out there, and uh, it's funny seeing new people. Their strategies. That um, I think it's best at. What we played at four players mostly or five.
0: I think we played at four. four
1: yeah. yeah, like it, it's when you play at lower counts. There's actually a variation where you're supposed to use um, a neutral die. That kind that of makes sense. And it kind of uh, you can choose to put that die down if you roll instead. Or I, I may be messing this up. We've never done it, but I've heard it's it's the it really adds something to the game. But we've always just had a great time playing <laughs> with just normal rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a deluxe version of Las Vegas coming out uh, shortly. What does it add? Or at least it's a reprint. But um, What's that?
0: What does it add? Or no why idea. is it deluxe? I
1: think it's just a shinier version of oh, Las shiny. Vegas. <laughs> so so extra chrome so to squeeze to some it. cash from it. Yeah. Uh, so Las Vegas, uh, very simple dice worker placement game that it's mm-hmm. all about pushing your luck and and you can just see because what happened there are these moments in las vegas that you can just you, you want to shake <laughs> you, you just want to strangle the guy across from you because you chuck some dice down and you think you've got a lock on one of these casinos you've got like let's say you've got three of your dice on it and you think nobody's touching this and all of a sudden you see one dice appear another dice appear third and then all, oh, all of a sudden somebody's invaded you and maybe you want to defend, but you're trying to take some other things, and you're just not rolling them. There's some neat little battles and some stories that can kind of show up out of this game. It's cool, very cool game, and inexpensive again. Although, actually, I should take that back because I think it is oddly expensive for what it is. You could just make it at home, though. You I was could, just
0: gonna say if you have an old version of Monopoly, just cannibalize it and make it into yeah. Las Vegas.
1: There's a lot. Anything that has a lot of dice, you can just like take them away
0: buy dice really easily i'm just thinking the money part you could just steal the money from Um, you wouldn't even need the money Uh.
1: yeah it's true you could just do there are a lot of ways to diy your own (laughs) version of las vegas not las vegas not infringing on the copyright of las vegas but something similar to that that's carries the same mechanics
0: boss vegas
1: ba- that's not a bad idea boss vegas
0: maybe you should um start a website for android extension where you diy games <laughs>
1: just like in real time watching me just try to fumble <laughs> through with scissors and some paste
0: well no we don't all have a million years <laughs> to watch you do that
1: she has no faith in me but that's all right
0: i just mean put some instructions up like a short video or just some words
1: okay um, also, simultaneously, I am opening up the Androids Dungeon uh, legal fund. <laughs> Please <laughs> donate generously. Because, <laughs> you know, those uh, those board game companies with their deep pockets and uh, bloodthirsty lawyers. Um, so Las Vegas, uh, code names. There was a card game we played, Caleb. What was it? Well, I didn't play it.
0: No, you didn't play, which was good because we probably would have lost. Ooh. Um, we played Euchre. Yep. I won all the games. Yep. I'm not alone, but my... Partner and I always won.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, when you say always won, there were some close, there were some nail biters. As in, like you had a firm lead. I saw because I saw it happen where you this looks under control, and then um, they win another, they win another. I mean, I think my partner
0: just made some mistakes.
1: (laughs) 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 Caleb blaming her partner.
0: Hey, I opened the first game with a lone hand, which scores you four points. I don't want to try to explain euchre on the air, but just go look it up if you don't already know how to play. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so Euchre classic, Mm -hmm. um, with Kayla's family, they actually seem to have this, um, at least on your father's side, there's this, they love Euchre. They love these tournaments of this game and it can get, um, uh, it's, I don't want to say, um, tense, but there's a lot of sort of like uh, general thinking about the meta game behind it. Why do you Mm -hmm. did this and why you did that?
0: It's very competitive, but no one's getting disowned because they, uh, (laughs) play too well or play too poorly.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Euchre, very basic. Everyone knows Euchre. Now, the last one, um, Kayla didn't get a chance to play, but I taught it to three other people. um, And that was Via Nebula, or Via Nebula, depending on how you want to pronounce it, which uh, I think literally translates to Through the Mist or Through um, the Fog. And it is a Martin Wallace game that, um, if you want to boil it down to what it is, it is a Wallace train game with a more accessible theme that doesn't scare away people. And basically you take on this um you, each person grabs a character and you represent a, a group of I think explorers who are going back to a land that was consumed by fog and monsters. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to lay down, uh, you're trying to explore routes to resources to get the resource, bring it back to your building site, and build one of these buildings. And each of the buildings can be something different based on the cards that are up there. And every time you build a building, you get victory points associated with it, and it gives you special ability. And as soon as all the buildings are got, one player has finished all the buildings, everyone gets one more turn, and it's done. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Um, but the neat thing about Via Nebula is that um, just like these other walls style, style uh, sort of resource management games, is that when you open up a resource in this game, so let's say there's a bunch of bricks somewhere, and you can decide at any point to put one of your workers down. You've only got two in a four-player game, so you got to be careful. But you can put a worker down, take the token, which is worth some points, and all of a sudden, boom, bricks appear because you dug them up or something. The problem is, is that you don't own those bricks. Just because your worker is there doesn't mean anything. It just establishes the fact that you were the one that did it. So, so
0: how can someone else get those bricks?
1: All they have to do is build a route, or maybe you've already built the route. and if they can trace a, uh, an unobstructed line as a nothing else blocking that way, uh, on their turn, they could take uh, up to two of those bricks, maybe three if they played some, uh, built a building or something like that. Uh, maybe not three, but the point is that if you open something up, theoretically, if you played it wrong, you could get none of it. Yeah, and you could come
0: back around to your turn and you all gone. it, but it's nothing. You do get some victory points from exposing it, though, don't you?
1: Um, you some get the a,
0: cards? Uh, no? Y- yeah, we well, as you,
1: as you go through the exploration, as you get rid of them, you get, like, points after X oh, right. tiles. And then just for, um, just for opening up the resource, you get some points. Yeah. Uh, and even worse about this game, too, is that, um, at the end of the game, any resources that your guy is sitting on that haven't been claimed and any resources that you haven't managed to build yet because you gotta get all the resources to the building then build it as an action. So if the game is ended and you've got workers out on top of resources that haven't been uh, exploited and you've got buildings that aren't built, all of those objects come back as negative points at the end of the game. and also in this game too, for every extra uh, material you use to build a building that you didn't have to use it, you get penalized on that as well. So you need to build a combination of them, but you also have to keep an eye on the fact that, oh geez, Kayla's building the same thing. She goes before me, she's gonna take this and build a building and I'm gonna be left with this random mash of stuff that I can't work with. So it's, A, it's adorable, it's bright, it's colorful. Um, That's what I was
0: gonna say, I thought you weren't gonna get there.
1: And that, But that's it. The main reason is that if I had to teach this to somebody else, um, I'd be, if it was any other theme, I think it'd be very difficult. But this one, it's themed perfectly. The components are very pretty. And it is, I think, after the initial hurdle of like explaining what you're doing and maybe getting past the idea that you don't own anything except for these, these buildings. And even then, they don't do anything after you've built them. Um, it's a very simple game, very easy to understand. And I highly recommend. Do you like Vi Nebula?
0: I love it. Yeah. It's really good. It's, like Jack said, it's beautiful. It's adorable. The box is also really beautiful, not just the components inside. And so every time I walk by it on the shelf, I want to play it.
1: And it's also got to give it points too. It's got its own insert. It comes with uh, the plastic mold to fit stuff. And even though it's not the greatest, because it's kind of flimsy, but it does the job. You don't have to worry about components flying all over the place. So anyway, that was an example of some cottage gaming that we got up to uh, on the lawn weekend, which is kind of dated at this point, but... uh, it is something we were up to for some games. We'll have definitely have some stuff to report in on in a little bit. But stay tuned. We're going to come back after a bit of music for an interview with uh, Jonathan K. Stay tuned.
2: Marching to the wrong drum with the wrong scum, missing out the wrong energy, using all the wrong.
1: on the phone with me now Jonathan Kay, former editor of The Walrus and one of my favorite writers for uh, The National Post. I think I can still call you writer for The National Post. Can I?
3: Yeah, I write uh, every couple of weeks for The Post.
1: Yeah, I always look forward to your columns. It was always a special deal whenever I'd see one because they've become so, uh, I don't know, infrequent recently, but they're always a treat to uh, see them. But Thank you for reading. <laughs> thank you for writing them. Uh, I've also noticed that uh, over the times, I've kind of... Uh, followed you on Twitter for a while there, that you seem to be a bit of an avid board gamer. Would you say this is correct?
3: Yeah, I was a huge board gamer when I was younger. Uh, And then probably like a lot of people in college, it sort of fell away a little bit just because there was a million other things to do. I played sports and, uh, you know, tried to meet women. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I went off to law school and got jobs and had kids. Uh, And then what happened, it's actually not... An uncommon pattern mm-hmm. uh, that the kids start sleeping through the night, they're no longer in diapers, and you start looking for things to do that don't involve an on switch, like, you know, you get sick of Netflix or whatever, yeah. and you realize, wait a sec, 20, 30 years ago I used to play all these board games, and in some cases they're in your attic, uh... In other cases, like mine, you just go out on eBay and buy them again. And that's what I did. And I sort of, about five years ago, I got big into many of the board games I played when I was younger.
1: So when you say, like, going on eBay and picking up stuff that were popular when you was popular when you were younger, um, can you give me some examples of stuff that you uh, acquired
3: again? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'd say probably half the games I play, well, probably more than half, uh, is, is games that have been around since, like, the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, games that may be obscure to some of your listeners, uh, Rise and Decline of the Third Reich, which is a strategic level simulation of, of war on the, the Western Front, World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advanced Squad Leader, which is by far and away my favorite game. Uh, it's a World War II-themed game, but more on a tactical level. It's like Germans and Russians fighting over a particular village or something like that. Um, World War II, as you probably know, is one of the... Uh, along with the Civil War, the, the U.S. Civil Wars is one of the most popular themes for military games,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and those are the kind of games I play from when I was a kid. But then, as you know, like in the last ten, fifteen, twenty years, there's been this incredible renaissance in strategy games in, in the genre known as Euro games,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and these are, these are games that I never knew when I was a kid because they didn't exist when I was younger. Um, The Settlers of Catan was the first big Euro game, Uh, but since then there have been hundreds, um, including dozens that I love to play. Uh, Ticket to Ride is a game I play with my family and friends. Uh, Lately I've gotten into a game called Concordia, which is a great Euro game.
4: Concordia is incredible.
3: Uh, Yeah, it's a fun game, and uh, what I love is the turns are really quick because you just play one card.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) It's not like Settlers of Catan, you're waiting for five minutes for the guy to finish his turn. So. These are games that didn't exist, um, and so so it's a combination of these new games, these new Euros, and some of these older uh, Avalon Hill was the company that made them way back in the day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. It was incorporated into uh, another company. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's a combination, and uh, God, I I play dozens of games now, and uh, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's funny you bring up Avalon Hill because it seems like if you go back through these best of or these top games of all time especially from people from a certain era and i don't mean to date you accidentally on this but
3: no no, no you should i'm 40 years old you should date me.
1: <laughs> well it's funny because uh the local board game cafe in guelph ontario here uh, we have two but one of which uh, one of the guys that runs it um he grew up in university playing this game called advanced civilization i don't know if you're uh, yeah, I mean, it that that still one.
3: has a following. It still has a following.
1: And there's a good reason for it. It's some of these classics, and they're kind of scary to a newcomer. Like somebody who plays Settlers isn't necessarily going to pick up, uh, let's say, uh, 1830 or Advanced Civ and uh, just go from there. But there's a reason why they're classics. And I think. Uh,
3: there, yeah, you're right. The, but there is one major difference, which you may have picked up on if you've looked at Advanced Civ or Advanced Squad Leader, if they're mm-hmm. right, the longest day, uh, you know, Flat Tops and these games. I mean, a lot of these games are four, five, six, seven-hour games. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and Advanced Squad Leader, third wife, some of them go over, you know, days or even weeks. And they were designed with a dedicated, I'd say, college audience in mind. Because, hmm. you know, I, I remember when I was 22 years old, my friends would say, hey, let's spend the next seven days just <laughs> playing this crazy board game. And it sounds <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. You know, like, you could do that. Yeah. Um, and, and it had that market in mind Whereas if you look at modern Euros, which are, you know, designed to be played, uh, families, couples, game night, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you have like a two- to three-hour window of time, like we were just talking about Concordia, I mean, Concordia, you could experienced players can play a game of Concordia in less than an hour, and that's the difference between the modern Euros and some of these older games, because the older games were about theme and tactics, first and how it fit into your schedule second whereas i think these days if you're trying to market a euro game or a strategy game the first question you're going to get from the people marketing it is uh well one of the first is like how long does this take to play Mm -hmm. and if you say oh it takes it takes five hours they're going to be like well we're just you know go go on kickstarter because you're never going to find a mass audience for a game that takes five hours
1: interesting so sounding all strange there for a second how do i sound on your end sound great Okay. okay Um, it's interesting you bring up this time length because uh, so Advanced Civ, I think last time we played, was 13 hours, which, you, like you're saying, try selling that to the average person and you're going to get laughed at because right. even though it's an incredible experience that I don't think can, you can recreate uh, in many other games, it's just most people, even if they wanted to, it's tough to justify 13 hours of their life, especially with kids and families and whatnot. But do you think that maybe these, going back to the time limit thing, do you think that games have more, uh, more evolved to... Maybe you don't condense that experience down to 13 hours in one day, but you spread out these experiences, especially with the legacy element games like uh, Pandemic Legacy and Risk Legacy and Gloomhaven, etc., and some of these other ones coming out.
3: Yeah, well, I haven't tried Gloomhaven yet, but I see it uh, at one point at least it was number one on the the Board Game Geek list, so Mm -hmm. it looks like uh, it's hugely popular. For me, everyone goes to games for different reasons. For me, a lot of it is about storytelling. And one of the reasons I like the longer games, uh, Advanced Squad Leader," which, you know, as I say, it's sort of a tactical level game about you know, a battle over a village or a mm-hmm. battle over um, uh, you know, uh, some strategic fortress or, or something other, is that the battle waxes and wanes, it's ups and downs, and it, you're telling a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. And the analogy I would draw is a person who's spending 10 to 12 hours binge-watching a drama on TV. Uh, something that may have a dozen episodes, and over the course of that dozen episodes, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the Starks are up and the Starks are down, mm. and uh, you know, the dragons come and the dragons leave. There's a lot of little plot twists, yeah. and that's you know, good storytelling has that. And the reason I will stick around for a 12-hour game of Advanced Squad Leader is I love those little plot twists. Now, it so happens that the way my life works now is, you know, 12 hours in one shot is difficult. Um, But, you know, you play for three or four hours, you put the game away. You play for three or four hours, you put the game away. And it might take three sessions. Uh, Not everybody likes that. I mean, most casual gamers are going to want to get the game over in one shot.
1: Uh Uh-oh, did you just drop the C
3: word? The casual? (laughs) Hey, look, I have nothing against casual. I play with some casual gamers. um, And by the way, some casual gamers are hardcore gamers who just don't have a lot of time on their hands. Mm. If you've got four kids and they're all under ten years old, you want to be a hardcore gamer you might be a casual gamer because you only have 90 minutes a week to play games but by the way one thing i should say one thing i didn't have when i was younger we have now is we have computers right yeah so when i play a game like squad leader that used to be only cardboard and uh paper um and i still like playing it in that way but Mm -hmm. now i can play it virtually online and we can save the game as a computer file and i can play you know play in, in installments in fact, some of my best quaier games these days are with people on other continents, and we 'll play for a couple of hours every week. you know these are childhood friends yeah there 's one guy who lives in New Zealand actually We used to play all the time in Montreal and we we'll 're playing two hour installments you know uh, and then over the course of a month we 'll finish a game so that 's something that i couldn 't do when I was a kid because we didn 't have that technology
1: it 's an incredible story to say that you 're be able to play these. Uh, types of games just with anyone anywhere in the world, and uh, since you do do this, and uh, do you just play exclusively with friends or do you play ever with uh, random people that you meet up in i don 't know on board game geek or uh, geek or whatever
3: um, i play, end up playing with random people at tournaments
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, tournaments holy you know, smokes well it 's look it's board gaming isn 't a subculture it 's a set of subcultures right <laughs> like if you if you go to a board gaming convention um, and you're playing game x and the guy beside you is playing game y yeah. you're both gamers but those games i mean you may not have anything you're in completely different universes you know yeah. you might be playing some hardcore world war two strategy game and he's playing you know smurf carnival or something like it's just <laughs> it's a different world so um, there's a you know for a lot of games there might only be ten or twenty thousand hardcore participants around the world Yeah, and it makes sense that a couple of times a year they're gonna meet Like I some of the tournaments I go to, Cleveland and Copenhagen, they make time in a schedule to go because in their local neighborhood there might not be that many players, and mm-hmm. they get tired of playing online. Uh, and when I go to those tournaments, to answer your question, I do end up playing with strangers. But if you're playing a six- to eight-hour scenario in Squad Leader or one of these big games,
4: mm-hmm.
3: if you don't like the person you're playing with, that's a long six- to eight hours. Like, <sighs> so as a result, generally, I do play with friends. If you're playing a 90-minute, if you're playing South of Staten, and you don't like the people you're playing with, it's going to be over in an hour. That's yeah. okay. If you're playing, well, like, that's yeah. that's
1: idealistic, I think, to say. I've played some atrocious games of at Catan and went for like three hours, I think, and just like made yeah. it end.
3: Well, chances are if it's going for three hours, it's because there's at least one guy, and it's usually a guy, <laughs> who's acting like a jerk and is holding everything up by holding up for impossible deals because yeah. he wants 18 wood for his two sheep or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's I,
1: one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on the show. Aside from the fact that uh, I'm a big fan of yours, is the I know that you're a fan of these uh, war games, and uh, specifically the uh, Advanced Squad Leader. And, and I know nothing about this genre outside of a very surface impression of it. I think I own the closest to a war game I own is I don't know if you have ever heard of Sekigahara, which is a GMT game set in feudal Japan where you've got blocks with different troop combinations, and it's a, it's basically a stripped down two-player only. Uh, war game, But beyond that, the um, how do you describe it? The, like the Hex Encounter war games? Uh, is, yeah, is Base. Yeah. Hex Base is just something that I, I look at it, my brain starts to melt because all these symbols and numbers, and I don't even understand how people are doing anything with them. And is How deep is this? Is it, is it really tricky for someone to get into on their own, or do you need somebody to kind of guide you on this journey?
3: First of all, um, the game you just mentioned, I haven't played it, but it sounds intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens I, I just started playing... Uh, a Chinese game called Three Kingdoms. Whoa. Simulate, have you heard of it?
1: Yeah, it's been on my list for a long time. It's just a uh, three-player only game is very tough to... Exactly, for
3: me <laughs> yes, because it's so hard to find a good three-player game. Yeah. When it comes to Toronto, we'll play it. Um, yeah. A Chinese friend, the thing is, he himself, he's obsessed with the game because the period of history um, in Chinese history that it covers, mm-hmm. he's very interested in. It's um, after the dissolution of the Han Dynasty,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, China fell into rivalry between three... Well, it's complicated, but three warring uh, power power sections, uh, and this game roughly simulates it. But like you, it's the game like the game you just described. It's not sort of a hexagon-based game. It's more sort of stylized. It's mm-hmm. a fun game. Uh, the game you're talk, the games you're talking about, sort of classic war games, hexagons, obscure terminology, little insignia showing units and battalions and regiments,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, and lots of numbers and stuff like that, and combat factors. It can become very esoteric. And it tends to attract a couple of different kinds of people. It tends to attract, A, people who are obsessed with military history. Yes. And, and who, who like, who want to turn that into a game experience.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then it, and I'm, I'm kind of like that. but it more, it attracts people like me who would go the other way. They're looking for a fully immersive, highly complex game experience, and that draws them into the military genre. So... Someone like me, I'm looking for the game experience, and so I get interested in the military history. And then I go to the tournaments, and I meet a lot of folks who are military buffs mm-hmm. who get drawn the other way into the game uh, game experience.
1: Well, it's funny you bring up that, because going back to, I think, GMT, who I feel like is kind of the, the leader of the more hardcore games these days, as far as publishers go. But the... Some of my favorite series, I don't know if you ever played any of the, the coin series games, the counterinsurgency ones like Cuba Libre, Fire in the Sky, or Fire on the Lake, uh, Distant Plane. Um, but they're designed, the system was designed by an ex-CIA guy. And it shows in all these factions and how they're sort of interacting around the board. And it's, it's basically simulating this history, but it's, it's abstracted enough for it to be actually fun. You're not just like flipping through a history book and like kind of choose your own adventure. But uh, have you ever played any of those games?
3: I'll be honest with you. I find those games tough because they're essentially like nonlinear.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and when you're playing traditional combat-oriented games, it's like, it's kind of, you know, this tank's firing on that tank, these guys are firing on that tank, these guys run away. Like it's, you know, everything is spatial and, and representational and I can get it. Mm. The kind of games you're talking about, one of the reasons I haven't been able to get into it is because you have to kind of get into it in a non-linear level. Um, uh, and the... The, the style of the game can't be easily represented in a in a visual manner, in a geometric manner. You have to kind of understand uh, all the different complex combat techniques and stuff like that. Um, I haven't been able to wrap my brain around that stuff. There are just I love gaming, but there are some kinds of games I just can't. I'm not good at, and I can't get them, and I get frustrated. <laughs> uh, and the, the counterinsurgency games are just they, they're kind of like that. I just. Not only do I lose, I don't understand why I lost. Uh, at least if I, at least if I get beat, I want to be oh, okay. You beat me because you did that. Uh, but if I can't get to that level, I'm probably not going to play it again.
1: I agree with you. There's nothing worse than playing a game and just uh, not just losing, but not understanding why you lost or feeling like you ever had a chance in the first place. But uh,
3: yeah, yeah, and you can always tell because the other the other players are t- are talking about the game. They're yeah. doing the post game analysis, which I usually enjoy, mm-hmm. and they're talking this language you don't understand. You're like, you know what? They, they were playing this game on another level. I, I, I got to find another game to
1: play. Well, then it's almost, would you, without trying to throw too much blame around, would you almost blame your, your fellow gamers then? Because if you're a newbie getting into this and you have a, like a, a, I wouldn't say terrible experience, but you just don't have the experience that maybe you should be getting out of this, then maybe people should have been holding your hand a little bit more to sort of guide you towards the proper choices or gameplay? Uh, it's hard
3: because in some of these cases, these are, are players I've played with for years. And they've seen me get the hang of other kinds of games really quick, right? Mm-hmm. And so they just assume, just in the same way I assume they're going to get game. You know, I've played lots of games. and um, But I, I've been on the other side of that, like where I've tried to teach my wife games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like getting into the complexities of the games. I'm getting all excited. Oh, and you can do this, do this. And she's like,
2: slow down, slow <laughs> down.
3: And... and um, I, I think I would probably probably be more successful in getting her and other new players to get into games if I could step into her shoes as someone who's not a gamer, who maybe is open-minded about it, but really needs me to hold, you know, use your expression to hold her hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's hard. Like, it's, it's kind of like if you speak a language and you're trying to teach it to somebody and you're kind of like, well, you know, just... This expression means this, and this means this. this. Like, you you take it for granted, and they don't. And I'll be honest, it's a special skill to be able to teach something. like To teach something you love and expect everybody to love, but they don't love it yet. It's a special skill to be able to slow down and communicate that to them in a language they understand. And I'll admit I don't have that skill. Like, I I love games, but I'm not good at teaching games or creating new game uh, acolytes. It's a tough uh,
1: combination because if, for someone like yourself and myself, when you have these these darlings in your collection that you just wish you just can't play enough, but uh, to try to introduce it to other people and not be able to articulate what you're supposed to do in a way that the person can grasp easily or maybe figure out why it's good. But it's also tough too when you're playing with people you're not necessarily going to um, maybe get to play it too often with, and then you have to really be choosy with your, your games. Like my favorite example is... Uh, I I try to foist uh, the odd game upon my parents when they're around, and they only like a very specific type of genre. It has to deal with negotiating or money. And any of those those types of games are easy to sort of, uh, maybe they can wrap their heads around, but like I was looking at your list and you've got Chinatown on there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was able to teach Chinatown to my entire family, and it took a round, but after that, everyone got it like that, and it was just all negotiating and hustling, and people were cursing each other out pretty quickly. But let's say if I, you know, I there would be no way I could teach them Agricola, for example. Th- that would be just a nightmare.
3: <laughs> Agricola is... Um, uh, I, I taught a bunch of people how to play Agricola, and we played for a whole evening, and after the game was over... guy one of the guys said to me i want the last three hours of my life back (laughs) (laughs) so for for listeners who don't know what Agricola is it's basically it's it's a somewhat complex it's on the more complex side of euro games and the the point of it is to build a farm and you get points for how attractive the farm is and how many animals you have and it's like the premise of it is kind of obscure it's essentially 16th century farming and you're a peasant and there's been a plague and you have to have children like it's a weird game but it's fun um and uh and that it's that's interesting you say that. By the way, if if you're you're these people like Chinatown, there's a classic game, I think it's from the seventies called Acquire. Oh yeah,
1: I I've got like that. that. It's 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 something sorry class. to interrupt you, but it's just it's something I've been meaning to try to get them on like Tigers and Euphrates yeah. style like mergers and acquisitions. That's,
3: that's a good one. I only learned that a couple months ago, but that's that's a good one. One thing that's instructive for, for when you're trying to teach other people game and they're, just, they're not getting into it mm-hmm. is to try and think of the kind of games that, that just you don't like and never will like ever.
4: Mm-hmm. Like,
3: like if I live to 150, I'm just never going to like like party games, as they're called, you know, like headbands or right. um, dirty minds. Like this, one of those games where you're wearing a hat and yeah. you have like a Animal in the Hat, and you have to guess things, and all this crap. Yeah. Like, I'll just never get into party games, and it doesn't matter how good the teacher is. So, I try and imagine. I know that, and I try. And, so, when so, when I'm teaching somebody a game, and they're just they, they look at me and they say, "I know you love this game, but I will never, ever, 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 ever enjoy this game in my life." So, mm-hmm. let's stop stop this right now. I, you know, rather than say, "Oh, you're just not trying hard enough," or you know, "You got to open your mind," I try and think like there is a class of games, at least one class of games. Uh, these so called party games that i that 's my attitude to them also, so I have to like i 'm a little fatalistic about this like I have to say if there 's a class of games that i 'm just never going to enjoy, I have to acknowledge that there 's just a class of games that everybody has a class of games they 're never going to enjoy, and, and for some people it 's like they don 't like any games like my my mother in law my father in law like the only games they like are these lame card games from <laughs> Game <laughs> 15, <but> like <laughs> and I'm like i never and i 've tried you know, and it 's interesting because. My father-in-law loves the Tour de France, and there's this um, fairly, you know, well-known game uh, that simulates the Tour de France, it's not a complicated game, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's called Slam Rouge. Um, I thought, oh, this premise, it's something he'll like, but, you know, he, he does, it's like, he's just, he doesn't like any games. He yeah. doesn't like games. And it's weird to me, but i got to deal with it. Like, he doesn't like games. It's a weird thing, but it's part of my reality, so I have, to, I have to accept that
1: it is true that some people out there are just not going to and it's this isn't meant to be demeaning in any way anyway but it's just some people they don't the board gaming world isn't for them and it's just maybe something that they can't or don't want to wrap their head around like for dad it's pulling teeth to get him to sit down to play something but i think sometimes he has a good time like i think the last time um i was able to teach them steam have you ever had a chance to play that one
3: Oh, the Railroad Game. Yeah, the Martin uh, Wallace I haven't one. played Steam, but my understanding is that Steam is kind of the basis for some of these other games, like Railways of the World and...
1: Um, yes. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've played Railways of the World and obviously the Ticket to Ride games uh, and some of these uh, Rail Barons and some of these games where you actually draw train lines on, uh, on, on, on erasable maps and stuff like that. Like Russian Railroads like, or... Uh... Yes, Russian Railroads is awesome. I played that a month ago. It, was, it took four <laughs> hours, but it was fantastic. But Steam, I've heard, is like kind of like a granddaddy game to a lot of these. Hmm. Is that that the case? I I I can't. It
1: it is good game. I can't speak to how influential it may or may not have been to some of these things because I think if you. If you reduce it all to the, the base, I think it's Tresham's 1830 or the 18xx series that is really kind of the, the inspiration. So many people, kind of like what we've been speaking about, have been trying to take this game that in 1830 I've only ever played a um, simplified version with my girlfriend trying to just get the basics down in hopes of playing it with a bunch of people. but. I just don't want to screw it up. I don't want to smother this baby in the cradle by accident and just ruin it for everyone they'll never play it again. But taking Steam again is trying to sort of simplify the mechanics, basically, in this game, because you have to manage your economy and manage your your business, uh, and you're trying to pick up and deliver. So you're trying to get goods, and you're trying to be the most profitable. And I think Chicago Express, I don't know if you've played that one, is closer to the 1830 or 18xx stuff because there's actually the separation between player money and the uh, company's income and you've also got stocks, and you're trying to yeah.
4: uh,
3: keep an yeah, eye on all that stuff. That's the conceptual, I mean, we're getting to the weeds here, but for when you're trying to teach 18XX games, that's, that's one of the conceptual difficulties. Uh, 1830, I think 1856 is another one I've played, um, where most people play a game, and it's like, okay, this is my company, and that's your company, but yeah. 18XX is, is, you know, you can invest in other people's company. Those are great games, but by the way, the 18XX games are an example of how crappy rule book writing. Oh my God. Or at least opaque rule book writing can destroy the game experience for prospective gamers because those are amazing games when someone's teaching them to you. Yeah. But I'm an experienced gamer and I tried to open the box in 1930 and teach it to myself. and I was I was lost. Impossible. Like I was just lost. There's, there's, but there's,
1: there's no reason to almost more. They should just almost just come with one page with a single URL written on it to yeah. one of three different people on YouTube that uh, there's this... Um, One girl that does this great, just within 13 minutes, she's taught you how to play 1830 in a way that the rule book could never do it.
3: Never. Wow. So, I mean, I guess I would take a variation on that is that like Concordia, um, I did this experiment where I watched a video of a guy explaining the rules to me Mm -hmm. and that got me like 80% there. It got me the conceptual framework and then I read the rules. And and the rules then make complete sense because you have the framework. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I, I sort of, it's a control freak thing. I I d I wanna read, have the rule I wanna know the rule book. I want to be able to cite chapter and verse on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Well but that's a
1: lawyer coming the rule, through,
3: right? There you go. But the rule book makes more sense after you have the conceptual framework that you get in broad strokes from watching the video.
1: Well so going for me it's, sorry, please.
3: Yeah it's a one-two punch and uh, and thank God for, and again this technology didn't exist 20 years ago you know 20 years ago when you went to teach yourself a, a board game mm-hmm. you and your friends slogged through the rules hour after hour after hour you know there was no YouTube back then so, uh, so we live in, a, in for, it's, it's better I mean I think it's, it's amazing and uh, uh, God bless these people who take the time to explain the rules on YouTube because I don't think they're making any money out of it No, but they're making it easier for the rest of us
1: well I think most of them for uh, excluding maybe some of the bigger guys who now it's a it's a life or it's a business for them, but I think most people that make these videos. It's it's a hobby, it's a passion, and just like this uh, radio show, for example, and this conversation, is between people who care deeply about this. <laughs> would you call it sub hobby of uh, stuff?
3: It's a subculture, and sub you know subcultures. People are the most passionate about it because they love it, but they're also in the back of mind. They're worried about survival <laughs> because they know it's sort of you know it's an acquired taste. Yeah. And uh you wanna make sure there's enough enthusiasm and, and you're always proselytizing, you know, you're always going out and
4: mm-hmm.
3: saying, hey, let's do that. and that's why there's you know, you go read the onion or something like that. You know, board game groupies <laughs> are a very common <laughs> subject of comedy.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh, because you know, there's one onion article it was like, you know, local man assures party goers that board game will be fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. And uh <laughs> uh and, and 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 that's but the enthusiasm, you know, it can be Subject of mockery, but it comes from a, it comes from fear. Fear yeah. that if you don't tell everybody how great these games are, then you know the, the hobby will die out, and you're not going to have anybody to play with. Well, is it and like sh- it by yourself.
1: is it like sharing a favorite piece of media? Like if you have a favorite movie. And, or a favorite album, and you're sharing it with somebody else, and you're just, you're just sitting there looking at them, kind of like, are they getting it? Is this something that they're, they're into? Whereas an album or movie, there's, there's, <laughs> when it's done, it's done. Whereas the board game, you've just got this, this hunk of cardboard kind of reminding you of your failures when you're finished. It.
3: Well, not only that, you know, with music, you can listen to music by yourself. Yeah. But with rare exceptions, you can't play board games by yourself. Uh, so, so if your friends don't like the game you're showing, that you know, you're showing to them, it isn't just like, oh, you know, they're lost. It's your loss too because you have no one yeah. to play it with. Yeah. So, you know, and you spent 70 bucks on the game, right? And you're like, oh God, you know, it's going to sit on my shelf and I have to put it on eBay.
1: Yeah. But do you think we're at is this peak board gaming right now? Do you think we're as high as we're going to get as far as popularity in this uh, this subculture? Because it seems like everywhere you look, um, board game cafes are popping up. You're seeing people talking about it, or maybe it could just be observation bias that people I'm surrounding myself with are talking about. But when I see or hear about uh, people who I'd never expect to know about certain games, let's say something like Agricola or Caverna, bringing it up as an example, I think, uh-oh, what's going on here? Yeah.
3: Um, I don't think we're at peak board game in terms of the board gaming in general because I think people want to get away from digital media like Netflix and their their iPhones and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there there is a backlash against digital technology and one of the main attractions of board games is that um, most of them don't have any electronic you know electronic component. One thing that we may be we may be at peak euro game
4: because mm-hmm.
3: you and I both like Concordia um, there's a new game called Great Western Trail that I like, but it is true that I noticed that when I play these Euro games, uh, Terraforming Mars is another example. Is it any good? That it's good, yeah. But there's a certain formula for the Terra for, for the Euro games. Uh, Seven Wonders has been around for a while, but it's kind of like you know there's eight different ways of getting points. You have to buy X in order to build Y, and you have to build Y in order to build Z, mm-hmm. and Z gives you lots of points. And but you know you can take your X and can. And and there is a certain formulaic quality to some of the Euro games. And when I see that that's that, that formula, which I enjoy, I enjoy the formula. Mm-hmm. But like everything with a formula, eventually it's, you know, you, it's, it's popularity is going to run out because people are going to spend 50 bucks for a game and say, oh, I've seen this before. You no, know, this is, this is just terraforming Uranus. I've, nah. I've already played terraforming Uranus. <laughs> and so I think I'd like to see, um, you know, I'm a board game designer myself. And, uh, and sometimes I'm, you know, I'm designing a game and it's like, it's like, ah, you know what, um, I'm, 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 I'm falling into a kind of well-worn formula here. And, um, and I try and find, you know, fresh ways to, to get gameplay flowing. Um, because if, if, if designers don't do that, then it really will be peak board game and people get tired of it. Um, so uh, I, I think um, it's kind of like movie making. It's kind of like TV. You need people creating the product not just to fall back on safe formulas, but actually try new things.
1: So you're a designer yourself. You pay attention to these mechanics. Who would you say does the most interesting designs out there? Because from my perspective, and looking at your list, it seems like, uh, you're a fan of Galaxy Trucker, uh, designed by Vlada, and I can never pronounce his last name pro- properly, I'll say Chivadel or something along Don't those lines. Don't look at
3: me, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, and, and he's an interesting guy because if you look at some of his other games, they're completely different. Yeah. Like, Galaxy Trucker is an amazing game, but it's like it's like comic book mayhem. Yeah. Whereas, like, a game he came out with a couple of years ago was sort of like this weird, ancient-style chess game where, like, you had to get... You know, Tashkalar? Like, yes, that's it. Uh, you know, Speaking of unpronounceable names, yeah. Uh, and I tried, it and I was like, it was a pretty good game, but I was like, wow, this this could not be more different than Galaxy Tracker. Um I would say my hero, from a game design point of view, uh, is a guy named Phil Eklund. Um <laughs> Yeah, and he's uh, there's a game called High Frontier that I'm currently playing. It's in its third iteration. That's it's basically it's it's a it's a extremely complex space exploration game. Uh, Eklund himself is a former uh, NASA uh, scientist. And, but he also creates these crazy games, mm-hmm. uh, recreating renaissance history. There's one called Pax Renaissance, which is amazing. But he's a guy like, I mean, these games, there's no formula. Like, forget the formula because he's, that's why they take so long to internalize because he's, you know, he's one of these geniuses who, you know, makes his own kind of music. Um, but these are never going to be mass popularity games. Like, they're too complicated. Well, especially uh, if like people he,
1: uh, dip into the back of the rule book where he d- writes uh, political treatises. <laughs>
3: like crazy, crazy political treatises. Yeah. Like, in fact, I was just reading the rules to High Frontier last night, and he he was talking about some weird technology, and then, like, at the end of the paragraph, he said, wow. there is a club devoted to this weird technology of which I'm a member. <laughs> just like, <laughs> you know, this crazy thing. And, 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 and High Frontier... Um, Uh, I won't get too into the weeds, but like one of the subplots is there's the space government and your colonists can vote for the space government and robots can vote for the space government if they've been emancipated. Um, Like there's this creepy subplot involving emancipating robots. But then like in the course of explaining the space government, he gives his own views on politics, which are like, okay, that's really weird. And (laughs) I just kind of skip over it, right? Because it's it's, um, like... In my case, I play games to kind of to get away from right. some of the controversial political themes that I sometimes have to write about on yeah. uh, my journalistic career. And I, I really don't feel like exploring those themes when I'm about to land my spacecraft on Mercury. You know, it's, uh, that's supposed to be an escape from writing about Senate reform and stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, then, in, so taking Phil Auckland, which, which I, I don't know, I've got PAX Premier and PAX um, uh, Profiana, and okay. uh, to be honest, I've opened them up and I've looked at them, but I, I tried to, I, I would look at my girlfriend and it's like, that's, I just have a hard time selling it to her that to sit down and try this sort of stuff. So unfortunately we default to something a little simpler or more um, accessible as a theme, but yeah. going through your list again, I'm looking at some other stuff and I saw that. Uh, you've got Patchwork on there, which I think is kind of one of these, speaking of something that we'd play instead of like this insane, full-on simulation of your uh, Renaissance politics uh, of a simple Tetris-like game, just slapping pieces down and connecting them. And it's just so intuitive and fun and elegant. But do you Patchwork
3: find... Patchwork is a brilliant game. Yeah. And um, and I remember at my old job, I was working in a magazine uh, a year ago. There was this... Um, uh, uh, one of the, the, the young workers came to me, because uh, he knew I was in the games.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, he was a fellow, he was a junior fellow, and he said to me, uh, I got this board game you're going to love. It's, it's based on quilting. <laughs> and I said, are you nuts? Like, you think I'm going to play a game based on quilting? Like, that's ridiculous. I said, "I play World War II games. So yeah. I can't play a game on quilting. Yeah. Like, you know, get real. And they said, no, no, trust me. And then we played it, and five minutes in, I was like, I love this game. Yeah. This is awesome. Uh, and it's a game that, um, that casual gamers uh, will play. It, there's no violence in it, so, I mean, not to be stereotypical, but I find um, sometimes female gamers are turned off if it's like some crazy, you know, like Blood Rage is yeah. not a game that, you know, it's not the first game I would pick to introduce to my wife's friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's in the old uh, <laughs> but, but Patchwork, and uh, men and women alike, like, I, I haven't met anybody who doesn't like Patchwork. It's a brilliant game. And, but that shows that, to me, that's an example of a game manufacturer taking a risk on a completely unpromising theme. But because of interesting visuals, a simple premise, uh, and good mechanics, like, they, there's a lot, you know, you look at the way the, it sounds stupid, but, you know, button management, mm-hmm. button management in that game is, like, very, hmm, you know, like, should I buy that piece or should I catch up? But then I uh, there's a lot, like, three or four variables to... That's a great game. And, um, you know, you don't have to recreate the renaissance to have a good time. Um, but going back to some of these PAX games, you need to have a group of players who, who show you how to play it and to give you a safe space mm. where, where you can learn. Um, it's not sort of thing you can just take out of the box with your girlfriend yeah. and say, hey, let's learn how to play a select one game together. Like, that's a recipe for a failed relationship. <laughs> you know,
1: so. uh, I appreciate you saving my relationship from that one
3: it's the least you know what I just I I do what I can I do what I can
1: Um, one last one I think I don't want to take up too much more of your time Um, I also notice you've got one of my and I think speaking of innovative games that I, I just cannot play enough but Captain Sonar you've got that on there do you own a copy
3: I own a copy it's still in a shrink wrap I'm still waiting to get eight players around the table to play it because I think you can play it with like five six seven but apparently it plays best at eight absolutely uh, my friend John Chu who's um, he's a he's like a professional Scrabble player and he uh, he was at a game convention last year and he said it was like this breakout hit like everybody was playing it to the point he said that people like were playing wearing nautical uniforms like to play it <laughs> the theme of the game right is like you're this crew of some naval craft and you know one person is like you know the weapons officer and one person is the engines officer whatever and he said people were like we're wearing uniforms and using naval terminology and i was like you know what i draw the line line uniforms <laughs> i love gaming but i draw the line at uniforms uh but if the game inspires people to dress up and do cosplay it's got to be a fantastic game right
1: and so you're saying members- i own it yeah you gotta do it eight players you can do it at six I, I but eight you need get eight of your friends together and my god just enjoy it
3: okay well i've heard great things about it i just uh it's just logistics i gotta find uh i gotta find seven other people who uh, uh who, who love dressing up and naval combat <laughs> uh, the, the, the day will come the day will come i just have to expand my circle of friends
1: well, I on that note, hopefully uh, we can get together sometime and maybe uh, speak some more and maybe play some games too, but I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and uh, having a chat with us about uh, gaming, and I appreciate your perspectives on everything.
3: Thank you for having me on, uh, and yeah, I hope we can play. Uh, for your listeners, uh, if they want to follow me on Twitter, uh, John K, J-O-N-K-A-Y is my handle, and they could direct message me if they're coming to Toronto, and... Uh, uh, My local games club, we meet uh, every week, and we're always delighted to uh, have visitors drop by and uh, play with us.
1: Excellent. Hopefully uh, nobody drops a game on you that you loathe and makes you quit gaming forever.
3: It's part of the experience. You know what? There's no guarantees, and uh, if you're afraid of games you hate, you'll never discover games you love, so bring it on, I say.
1: Perfect thing to end on. Thank you very much, uh, John. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in Androids Dungeon CFRU 93.3 FM. Thank you very much, Jonathan K, for uh, taking the time out of your day to <laughs> come onto this tiny little, little radio show and uh, give us your thoughts on games. Love to have you back sometime. Um, also, it's tough not to call somebody Mister. Yeah, I'll have to work on that in the future. But uh, I had a good time. Hope you did too. Uh, you can tune in to the show on cfru.ca find archives there uh, check us out on twitter at AD radio um, cfru and shoot us an email at androidsdungeonradio uh radio i believe at uh, droiddungeonradio excuse me uh, at uh, gmail.com i think we have a cfru address also coming up alive soon shortly but until then stay tuned have a nice day